Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13, the Word of God says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Let's pray. Lord, we turn again to this verse for the second time on this Lord's Day. Pray that you'd help continue the thought that we began this morning, teaching us what our actions towards sin should be. We all have sin in our lives, but help us to conquer it and overcome it, not allow it have dominion over us so that we can honor you in our words and our actions, our thoughts, and our motives, and Lord, that you could be high lifted up, not just in our hearts, but in the hearts of the world as they see you as you are and they learn about Christ who will so readily save them. So we pray that you'd work in our hearts. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher and we're the students. Please teach us the holy book. For it's in Christ's name and for his sake we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. So this morning I started a thought, uh, the Christian's actions towards sin. Uh, and I told you this morning that we weren't going to finish that. And tonight we're going to go a little bit further in this thought. Proverbs chapter 28 tells us that he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them uh, shall have mercy. So the Bible says if you want to fail, then cover your sin. If you want to be blessed, succeed, or prosper, don't cover your sin. But then he tells us what to do with our sin. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. The Christian's actions towards sin can be summed up in these two words, confess and forsake. Confess and forsake. What should I do with my sin? Confess it and forsake it. Oh, well, my kids have sin. What should they do? Confess it and forsake it. Someone I know has sin. What should they do? Confess it and forsake it. And building upon those two concepts, the Bible gives us eight actions that we should take towards the sin in our lives. And so we all have sin in our lives. We discussed that at length this morning. I'm not going to go back through that. We're sinners living in a world of sin. We have sin surrounding us. We have sin in our own flesh. The world, the flesh, and the devil conspire against us to get involved in more sin. The deeper in sin we get, the further away from God we are, and the more destruction reigns in our lives, and we're hindered from fulfilling the will of God in our personal lives. And so uh, tonight I just want to review very quickly the first three things we talked about and then move on and show you the Christian's actions towards sin. The first thing we said is sin should be acknowledged. Acknowledge means to recognize the existence of. You can't get help until you admit you need help. The first thing you have to do with your sin is admit that it is there, uh, and then we should acknowledge our sin. The second thing we talked about is sin should be confessed. Remember the Bible says confess it and forsake it. Well, you're not going to confess it if you don't believe it's there. So once you recognize you have sin, you acknowledge it, that's a sin, and then you confess it to God. And confession is more than just a statement of fact. Acknowledgement is just an ex a statement of fact. That's a sin. I have sin in my life. Confession goes further. Confession means to own, to acknowledge, to declare to be true. We talked about how it's human nature to hide from sin, but the Christian has to fight that impulse and not hide our sin, but to expose it. I want to expose my sin to God. He sees it already, right? 
There's nothing going on in your heart, mind, or life that God's not already aware of. But we pretend like he's not. We're like Adam and Eve foolishly uh, putting some leaves together and barely covering ourselves, hoping that God won't notice. He notices, right? Uh, and he needs to give us the robes of righteousness uh, rather than our, our self-righteousness. And so sin should be confessed. That may, a confession of sin includes three parts. Agree with God that it's a sin, own it as yours, and admit it to God. Stop blaming everybody else. Stop, well, my circumstances or it's really so-and-so's fault. No, you take the blame and God will take the guilt. As long as you're blaming everybody else, the guilt remains, and that's a heavy burden to bear. So we acknowledge it, we confess it, and then sin should be cleansed. And we talked about we only get that cleansing through the blood of Jesus Christ. There is the cleansing of salvation. That's a one-time instantaneous act when we're born again. Then there's the cleansing of sanctification. That is an ongoing process as we try to walk in fellowship with God. The blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses us as we are constantly confessing our sin. Right? So you and I were saved, but I sinned today. Do you want to know what it was? Do you want to know what my sin was? I'll tell you, not. You know, I sinned a lot. Uh, today but I, I wasn't out going to the bar and didn't rob a bank and those kinds of things but all of us have the sins of our heart don't we and so to walk in unbroken fellowship we have to constantly keep short accounts with God boy Lord I thought that man I can't believe I handled it that way oh I can't believe I did that and we confess it we own it uh, and then we take it to God and then God cleanses us we have a promise to be cleansed to be forgiven and cleansed from our sin every single time fully in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there you have the, the first part. Now you'll notice all three of these things have to do with getting forgiveness for our sin. To get forgiveness, we acknowledge it, we confess it, and we cleanse it through the blood of Christ. But wait a minute. How many of you know people or have been there yourself where you sin, you do those three things, but then the same sin pops up, and you do those three things, and the same sin pops up, and you confess it, the same sin pops up. God, I can't believe I did this again. The same sin pops up. There is a cycle of defeat that happens in your life until you move on to the fourth thing on this list. And the fourth thing we do with sin is forsake it. And the other five things in this list have to do with different areas of forsaking sin. We have to get over being caught by the same old sins, right? So the Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, He that confesseth his sin, or excuse me, covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So forsaking sin is where we drop the ball. Everybody in this room, if you're saved, especially those who've been coming to church a while, you know how to get forgiveness of your sin, but how do you get victory over your sin? And the victory comes with the forsaking. Confess it and forsake it. Now, what does it mean to forsake something? Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines the word forsake as to quit or leave entirely, to desert, 
to abandon, to depart from. So to forsake means to quit it, to leave it. I personally like the word abandon. It just is such a severe word. I mean, you drop it like a hot potato. You walk away and not even give it another thought. Uh, it, it's not like, uh, we're not like uh, Lot's wife who's walking away from Sodom, but we keep looking back. Oh, I can't believe my life. And she got turned to a pillar of salt. Uh, some of us, we, we, we're like, we know we should stop our sin. We're, we like start to walk away, but it's like, yeah, but... And then we'll walk away for a little bit, and yeah, but, and then we'll, we'll get a little bit of victory, but then we'll have a bad day, and Satan will say, you know, you've been doing pretty good with that. Just a little bit of indulgence is okay. Then you get sucked back into it. Folks, the way you get victory over sin is you forsake it. You abandon it. You leave it. You drop it like a hot potato, and you walk away and don't look back. That's the key to victory. You confess your sin getting forgiveness, you forsake your sin to get victory. The cycle of defeat can only be broken when we take the next action and forsake sin. So what does that look like? To forsake sin is to renounce it and to abandon it. So we talked about, we acknowledge it. I got a sin in my life. We confess it. That is a sin I agree with God. It's my fault. We tell God about it. We get it cleansed, and then we call it out. Sin, I reject you. I renounce you. Sin, I don't want you to be part of my life. I don't want you to be part of my home. I don't want you to be part of this relationship. You are not welcome here. And you reject it, you renounce it, and you abandon it. The Bible talks about those who cover their sin we hide it we conceal it was it really that bad is is it really that big of a sin well my sin's not as bad as so and so sin as soon as you play that game you're dead you're dead in the water the devil's got you it's just a matter of time the sin in my life has nothing to do with what you're doing and the sin in your life has nothing to do with what i'm doing it's personal The Bible says there are those that regard iniquity in their hearts. What does that mean? Well, we know it's a sin, but we give it a special place. This sin is off limits. This sin is protected. I mean, I've I've got victory over a lot of things. It's not like I'm a serial killer. It's not like I'm out there sinning. I mean, I just got this one thing. And God says, you're regarding it in your heart. You're giving it a special place in your life, and God reminds us there is nothing off limits in my life or your life. He wants to be Lord of all. And so we have to forsake it. Our pet sins, we walk away. Generational sins, well, this is what my dad did. This is what my mom did. Our family's always done this. Walk away. Well, 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 we've never done that. We, we've never. If God says to do it, then do it. If God says to stop it, then stop it. So we forsake it. Now, sin must be put away from us. We're going to look at a few scriptures here. Look at Job chapter 11. We're going to move quickly, and I'm, I could spend a, a full message on each one of these, but I'm just going to give you some highlights here as we go through. Job chapter 11 
and look at verse 14. Job eleven fourteen. If iniquity be in thine hand, put it far away, and let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacles. So the tabernacles would be your houses. Wickedness in your hand. So the Bible says uh, that you have to put sin away from you. The chains of sin are long and strong. In order to get victory over sin, we must remove the sin and the temptation. Put it out of reach where you can't get to it in a moment of weakness. That's why some of you need to get rid of your TV. Some of you need to get rid of your computers. Some of you need to throw those books out. Some of you need to get stop going certain places. Some of you need to get certain people out of your lives. Because you can do good, but in a weak moment, if it's within reach... You'll reach for it. The Bible says, put it out of your hand, and then don't let it dwell in your tabernacles. Why do we have sinful stuff in the house? Get rid of it. We must put sin far away from us. That's forsaking sin. Look at Psalm 34. Psalm 34, verse 14, Depart from evil and do good, Seek peace and pursue it. So we've got to depart from evil. We have to abandon sin. We have to reject it. Here's a thought. Let the people in your life know things are changing. Let the guys you used to drink with just tell them, I don't drink anymore. Let the guys you used to have a smoke break with say, no, I don't smoke anymore. Let, let the people you used to listen to the dirty jokes and maybe tell a few yourself, you say, you know what, I don't, I don't tell those kind of jokes anymore. Let people in your life know that you're changing. If you're not letting people know, you're not forsaking it. You have to make a statement, renounce it, reject it internally, reject it externally, get it outside of your reach, and determine and purpose in your heart that that sin will not be a part of your life. There's a lot more we could say about that. But the fourth thing we do with sin is we forsake it. You can't sit on the fence for long. You have to choose. And I encourage you, and the Bible says, forsake sin and run to God. All right, let's turn to number five. Number five, sin should be striven against. We must strive against sin. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, there's a, some ignored verses, a couple of ignored verses right after this uh, popular Verses Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. But let's read verses 2 through 4. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 through 4. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Verse 3 For consider him, think about him, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And what does this mean? The Bible says we have to strive against sin. We have to fight against sin. The word strive means to make an effort, exerting the powers of the body or the mind with earnestness, to contend. Resist means to withstand. We have to stand against sin and make an earnest effort effort with all the powers of our mind and body to stand against sin in our lives. But you say, preacher, I'm just worn out. 
Man, we're surrounded by sin. There's sin everywhere. I'm frustrated with my own sin. And if you're not careful, we can get weary in well-doing. And the Bible says you can get discouraged and even the devil will whisper in your ear, why try? Why even try? Why not just give in? But here the Bible tells us in verse 4, ye have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. What does that mean? Look at verse 3, for consider him. Now verse 2 is talking about Jesus. That in, endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest or unless ye be wearied and faint in your mind. So watch this. Beautiful truth. When you and I get weary and faint in our minds, we get tired of fighting. We get tired of our own sin. We get tired of the sin in the world. You turn on the TV, it's sin. You turn on the radio, it's sin. You go to the store, it's sin. I mean, just surrounded by sin. And it's easy to get discouraged. You try to do right, and people don't appreciate it. You, you try to do right, and sometimes it's like God's not even paying attention. And you get discouraged. Wait a minute. The Bible says when you get that way, consider Him. Look to the cross and be reminded what Jesus went through to stand against sin. And we can talk all night about the injustice that he endured, the pain, the suffering, the trail of blood from Pilate's Hall all the way to the top of Golgotha where he was stripped naked, nailed to a cross and hung between heaven and earth. And that wasn't the worst of it. Then God turned out the lights and poured all the punishment of all the hell for every person who's ever lived. Jesus Christ worked hard to fight against sin, didn't he? The Bible says, when you get weary in your minds, consider him. And then he says in verse 4, ye have not yet resisted unto blood. He said, You've, you're, you ought to be fighting against sin and you're getting wearied and it hasn't cost you any blood. It hasn't cost you your life. The truth is, can we just be honest? It's easy to sin. I mean, it's easy to sin. It takes no effort at all to sin. Matter of fact, your default setting, my default setting is sin. On the other hand, it takes purpose to live a holy life. You have to try to live righteously. You must determine to be consecrated. God expects us to work hard to live like Him. It takes dedication to live like Jesus. I couldn't help but think of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Can I just be honest with you? We're soft. I mean, we're soft. The least little bit of hardness comes up and we're whining and crying. I mean, we, we'll throw pity parties. We'll get frustrated with other people. We'll, I mean, something little happened recently and I got so down about it. Now, little in the big scope of things it wasn't little to me but I mean it just bottomed me out you ever been there where it just bottoms you out and something happened and I just got so bottomed out and I'm just going for like an hour throughout the day and I'm just like man I just want to go to bed I just want to go I just want to go lay in bed but then you know the 
the Lord started talking to me. He said, man, endure hardness as a good soldier. Why are you so soft? We're soft physically. Man, in a lot of churches, if the pews aren't padded enough, people complain. If the preacher preaches over 40 minutes, man, people are ready to have a fit. We're soft. The air conditioning's not working. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too bright. It's too dark. It's too early. It's too late. It's too long. It's too short. We're soft. And the Bible says when you get soft, when you get wearied in your minds and you get faint, consider Him and realize it is not costing you blood to stand against sin. It might cost your pride. It might cost you a friendship. It might cost you a a, a little money. It might cost you an opportunity. But it is not costing you your blood or your life. Stand. And the Bible says, strive against sin. Resist it. Sometimes we get so used to giving in to temptation, we give in so quickly. Be strong against sin. Jesus Christ fought the ultimate war so we could win the daily battles. You can defend sin. But I also notice here the Bible says in verse 4, ye have not yet resisted unto blood. Striving against sin. Do you know there are some martyrs throughout history that did give their blood rather than sin? People died rather than forsake Christ. People burned at stakes, drowned, shot, hung, cut in half. And they stood strong. Folks, we don't live in that world yet. But if we're we're so quick to give up today, what are we going to do when things really get hard? We've got to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might and strive against sin. Get a hard mind against sin. Get Get a strong mind against sin. I'm not talking about being mean with people. We still speak the truth in love. But I mean, you need an inner steel in you that says, I am standing against sin. Say what you want. Call me what you want. Do what you want. But I am standing against sin. That's part of forsaking sin. What should we do with sin? Number six, sin should be guarded against. Look at Psalm 19. Is this helping you? Psalm 19. Sin should be guarded against. Victory over sin is not an accident. It only happens when we determine to guard against sin. So now again, this is part of forsaking. Now we're not just walking away. We're not just abandoning it, deserting it, leaving it. Now we are building fortifications in our heart and mind to protect us from going back to it or it coming back to us. But Psalm 19, look at verse 13 and 14. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. 
So we should pray in this verse, we should pray that God will protect us from presumptuous, that word means arrogant, prideful sins. We need to pray that God would protect us from that. And then uh, we need to pray that sin would not have dominion or control over us. Boy, sometimes you get, you get involved in sin and at first you're enjoying it and the next thing it's enjoying you. You know, you never know how, much, how deep you are into sin until you try to stop. People say, well, I got this under control, then stop it then. And then you try to stop, it's like, whoa, this thing's got deeper hooks in me than I thought it did. But the Bible says sin should be guarded against. The, the first word here in verse 13, keep. Keep is an old English word that means to guard or to protect or to secure. So the Bible teaches we must determine to guard against the onslaught of Satan and his minions. Look at Psalm 39. The Bible says in Psalm 39.1, I will take heed to my, way, to my ways that I sin not with my mouth. I will keep or guard my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. So the Bible talks about taking heed to the ways. Take heed literally means to hedge about as with thorns. I was walking in Narragansett earlier this week, and I took a different way than I normally take, and I was walking by some of these houses, and they literally had a fence, a hedge, that was just as good as any fence I've ever seen. You know, the hedge is about this tall. It's about that thick. I mean, it's a wall. And that's the idea here. You hedge it in. You protect it. You build something around it, and you protect it and we should guard against sin in our lives look at psalm 141 and look at verse 9 keep me remember the word keep guard me protect me keep me from the snares or traps which they have laid for me and the gins traps of the workers of iniquity so here the bible says we should guard against the traps of sinful men not only do we have traps in our lives, there are sinful people in your lives that will try to get you to sin. I remember I was working a job years ago, and when I'd go to a new job, I would tell them I was a preacher. And I was in college, but, but I was a, called to preach, and I was going to be a preacher. And I worked this one job, uh, and they would always try to leave out dirty magazines. They'd always just try to leave them around. And I'd, I'd take them and, and uh, just throw them to the side and say, guys, knock that junk off. I'm never going to look at it. I'm never going to. I'd go to another place and they'd try to get me to cuss. I'd go to another place that'd try to get me to say something I shouldn't say. Folks, there's always going to be people in your life that try to get you to do what you shouldn't do. And you have to be prepared for that. You have to guard against that. Why are you surrounding yourself with people that are trying to come between you and God? makes no sense. Now, sometimes if it's family or a co-worker, uh, you can't just cut them out of your life, but you can set boundaries and say, that's off limits. Don't ever tell me that again. Don't ever say that to me again. That's never going to happen. I'm never going to go there. I've told this story before. I had a boss one time. I was working a job making $27.90 an hour as a 22-year-old uh, young man. $27.90 an hour, that's 20 years ago, with a $12 an hour benefit package. It was a good job. In the Midwest, where money went a lot further than it does here. And the guys came in today and said, Paul, the boss is calling a meeting. 
we're going to Hooters for our business meeting, and the boss says, you have to come. I said, guys, it ain't going to happen. They started laughing. They said, you're going to cave. You're going to cave. He will get you to go. And he came, and I'm still putting in the floor. And he came and said, all right, Paul, come on. We got we to gotta go have this business meeting. I said, no, sir. Did it very respectfully. I did it very kindly. No arrogance, but a sternness, a steel, a rigidness. It's not going to happen, sir. No, sir. I'll just keep working through lunch. And you know what? Finally, he, he said, all right, Paul, you can't go, but I don't know how I feel about it. You know, he's threatened me in front of the other guys. The other guys left, and he was the last one out of the room, and he said, we were putting a floor in a hospital. And he said, I respect you. And he left. And those guys were so mad that I didn't have to go. But it wasn't going to happen. But my attitude was, you can, you can let me go. I'll put in floors somewhere else. Money's not my God. I'm not going there. It's never going to happen. Well, they've got great wings. Never going to happen. You have to do that sometimes in your lives. You have to set some boundaries and stand against sin, but guard against the traps of sinful men. One way you do that is by keeping the commandments. For example, uh, first, or excuse me, John 14, 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. That word keep is the old English word guard or protect. See, God wants us to go a step further than just doing the bare minimum, he says. He says, I want you to protect my commandments in your life. Set up your life in such a way that you defend your ability to obey me. That's a whole different thought than just doing the bare minimum. That's why we have holy standards in our lives. And I encourage you, don't live on the edge in your Christian life. Well, God says this is a sin, but I'm going to just walk right up against it. I'm going to. And when you fall, you're in sin. Take a few steps away from sin and build a wall called a standard. This is how we dress. This is the music we listen to. This is what we watch. This is where we go. This is where we don't go. This is our schedule. This is how we do it. And that way, when you have a bad day, you stumble, but you don't fall out of the will of God. You protect yourself. All right, let's move on. Number seven, sin should be searched, Psalm 139. Psalm 139, sin should be searched. Psalm 139, look at verse 23 and 24. The Bible says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. As we said earlier, it's difficult to recognize our own sins. Watch me. Why don't you look up here? Each one of us has sin in our lives that we're not aware of. Each one of us probably has sin in our lives that we are aware of. We know it's there, and we're either dealing with it or we refuse to deal with it. But you have sin in your lives you don't even know about. Maybe you're not even aware of it. That's why sin must be searched out. And this is a step of faith. I mean, this takes a little bit of bravery and boldness because you're asking God to reveal your sin to you. But let me just encourage you, that's the best way to do it. 
because your sin will find you out. And you don't want to find it out when the judgment for sin is due. You want to find it out so you can fix it before that happens. Amen. And so we pray for God to search our hearts and to try us, to test us, to examine us and see if there be any wicked way in me. The psalmist here asked God to search his heart and to try his ways. He wanted to know if there was anything in his life that would displease the Lord. Further, he prayed to be led in the way everlasting. See, the purpose of this examination is because I want to do right. I want to do the right thing. I remember years ago when I got serious about following the Lord, I went to my pastor's office and, and I told him, I said, you know, I, I, I know I'm, I got saved as a teenager. I know I've got things in my life that are wrong. I'm, I'm trying to fix them all. But I said, if you see something in my life that doesn't please the Lord, please tell me about it. And he's like, wow, I don't have very many people come to my office and ask me that. But the purpose was I wanted to do the right thing. And when you want to do the right thing, when you want to do it right, you're not opposed to learning what you're doing wrong because that gives you the opportunity to fix it. If you're not interested in doing it God's way, but you want to do it your way, you will buck up when people remind you of sin. If even God comes to you and shows you your sin, you'll bristle. You'll get stiff and hard. No, let's be soft and supple and changeable and surrendered. God, show me what's wrong so I can do it right. Each one of us needs to schedule a regular seek and destroy mission on the sin in our lives. God, show me what's right and wrong. And this isn't just about actions. It's not just about the actions people see, the outward sins, but God will reveal the inward sins. And those are the most subtle and often the most destructive. But the psalmist asked God to scrutinize his desires, his affections, his thoughts, and his motives. Maybe you're wanting things that just aren't right for you to want. Maybe you're thinking things that aren't right for you to think. Maybe your motives aren't right. Maybe your actions aren't right. Your thinking's not right. Is our faith in God true? Is our fear of God solid? Is our love for God genuine? Only when we ask God to reveal it to us will we ever know the truth. And there comes a a confidence and a stability and a cleansing whenever we open ourselves up to God fully and he exposes us to ourselves. And that's when we get cleansing. Amen. Let me show you the last one, number eight. Romans chapter eight. I just love the word of God so much. I mean, there's some life changing stuff in here if you let it sink in. I just love this book so much. And let me remind you, I'm not preaching this as somebody who's got victory over sin. I'm a sinful person preaching a holy book. You know, there's no way for me to ever live up to that. And if you want to, you can look at my life and throw rocks. I can look at your life and throw rocks. But man, I tell you, there's no better life than just serving Jesus. There's no better life than just throwing yourself upon God and giving yourself wholly and completely to Him and doing it His way. There's just no better life. 
Number eight, sin should be mortified. Romans chapter 8 and look at verse 13. Romans 8, 13 says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall what? Die. But if through the deed, excuse me, but if through the Spirit ye do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall what? Live. The wages of sin is death, but through the Holy Spirit we can live and have life more abundantly. But the, the Bible uses the word here to mortify the deeds of the body. Uh, the word mortify is an old English word that means to subdue, to abase, to destroy. Literally, it means to kill. Kill it. Mortify it. The word mortician comes from that idea. A morgue. Mortify it. Death. Kill it. And the Bible says that, notice how we're not just forsaking sin now. We're not just walking away from it. Now we are searching it out. Now we are seeking to destroy it. To kill the sins in our lives. A seek and destroy mission. And the Bible says here that we have the ability through the power of the Spirit to mortify the deeds of the body. Look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 6. Romans 6, 6, 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be what? Destroyed, that we henceforth should not serve sin. So sometimes we feel like, oh man, the sin's just got a hold of me. No, you have the power through Christ to destroy that sin, to get victory over that sin, to conquer that sin. Verse 7 says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And we live in the newness of life, in the power of the Holy Spirit, conquering the sins of our flesh. We ought to mortify the deeds of the flesh. I look at Colossians chapter 3, and we'll be finished. Colossians chapter 3. As you're turning there, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 says that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So the, the old man is our corrupt sinful nature. The new man is the redeemed part of us uh, where the Holy Spirit dwells, the saved part of us. And we ought to put off the old man and put on the new man. That's a decision. You say, preacher, why does this sin keep having a place in my life? Because we're not following through the Bible commandments on how to deal with sin. We've got to get serious about this thing. And as we said this morning, you'll never live a sinless life here on earth, but we can sin less. And here's a good gauge for you. You ought to be conquering certain sins and gaining victory over them, and then you just move on to try to conquer new sins, right? You'll never get to the place where it's like, oh, I have no more sins to conquer. We have enough sins where we can get rid of some and still have plenty. That's why the sins that used to plague me before I got saved or right after I got saved, they don't have a hold of me anymore. And Christian growth is that once you start getting victory in your life, now you've got some some freedom and some liberty to start helping other people get 
victory in their lives. That's why at our church we have uh, leadership responsibilities, leadership requirements. Why? Because we don't need you getting drunk on Sunday night singing in the choir on Sunday morning. We don't need you going to, to gambling your, your salary away on Friday night and teaching Sunday school Sunday morning. You need to have some victory in your life, right? If you're still fighting with the same old sins for a long time, then something's not going well. Now, we each have a sin that so easily besets us, and that's a different conversation. There are some of those nagging sins that we will probably fight until the day we die, but even those we can get victory over. But man, move on, get, get some victory. But look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Look at this list. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them, but now also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So I want you to see this. So the Bible says there are certain sins that you put off. And to put off just means stop it, forsake them, walk away. There is another list of sins that you kill it. You don't put it off. You don't work on it. You stop it now, today, this moment. Put a fork in it. It's done. It's over. Why is that? Because all sin is destructive, but some sin will kill you faster and destroy your lives faster than others. And notice that that the Bible talks about putting off these sins. These are terrible sins, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication, lying. But notice the list of of mortification. Verse 5, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, that's an immoral sin. Uncleanness, that's an immoral sin. Inordinate affection, that's an immoral sin. Evil concupiscence, that's an immoral sin. Watch this. I want you to look at me. Watch this. Immorality will destroy you. That fast. That fast. I'm talking that fast. Let me just put it on the bottom shelf. Keep thyself pure. Don't be watching that junk on your phone. Don't be watching it on your iPad. Don't be watching it on the TV. Cut it out. Don't try to quit. Don't, I'm working on it. Knock it off. Get rid of the phone if you have to. Crush the iPad if you have to. Get rid of the TV if you have to. Never see that person again if you have to. Stop it tonight. It will kill you. It will kill your marriage. It will destroy your reputation. And we live in a world that is so sexualized and everything is about immorality games. The characters are over-sexualized and billboards and and, uh, TV commercials and songs. I was in a place recently and just started paying attention to the music and two songs in a row were about people just finding somebody to shack up with for the night. This is what is going on in our... It's pumped 
into our heads 24-7 if you're plugged into that mess. And God says, kill it tonight because if you don't, it will kill you. Keep your hands to yourself if you're not married. Keep your hands to yourself if you're not married. If you want to stop fornication, how do I do that? It's not good for a man to touch a woman. Keep your hands to yourself. You say, preacher, you're being awful hard on that because God's hard on it. Kill it. Stop it. Then he says covetousness. Wanting something that doesn't belong to you. You say, preacher, how bad's that? It's as bad as it gets. Because that sin leads to everything else. Wanting a girl that doesn't belong to you. Wanting a boy that doesn't belong to you. Wanting money that you haven't rightly earned. Wanting a house that, that God didn't give to you. Wanting a car that, that's not yours. It's the foundation and opens the door to all these other sins. Greed and envy and jealousy. Covetousness is idolatry because we begin to put the things we want above God. And God says these things, immorality, covetousness, and idolatry, kill it. So You can see as we step through this Bible sermon about what do we do with our sin. First we get forgiveness. We acknowledge it. We confess it, we cleanse it through Christ, and then we forsake it. And this is an increasing intensity and urgency. We forsake it, we abandon it, we walk away. We strive against it, we withstand it, resist and fight it. And then we guard against it, we build protections in our lives so on our worst day sin doesn't get us. And then we search it out in our homes, in our lives, in our own hearts. We seek it out. We ask God to to show it to us. Why? So we can destroy it. We can mortify it. We can kill it tonight. My friend, this is what God wants us to do with sin. And when you and I struggle with sin in our lives, and at times we do, I guarantee you it's because we get somewhere on this list and we stop. Maybe you say, well, I've forsaken it, but I keep going back to it. Well, that's because you're not striving against it, and you didn't build guards in your life, and you're not searching it out. You'll do it in your mind long before you do it with your hands. And so follow this list, and God can give us victory. How do you act towards sin in your life? Are you losing ground, or are you gaining the victory? And we can employ these eight actions in our lives to gain forgiveness and to get lasting victory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth for tonight. We are so grateful for the Word of God. And thank you for being honest with us, being truthful with us, telling us how it is so we can fix it. And Lord, so many churches today aren't even thoroughly dealing with the subject of sin. We we must deal with with sin, have a biblical mindset, biblical doctrine when it comes to sin. If we're going to fulfill your will, reach our potential, and do what you've called us to do. So I pray tonight that you'd help us cleanse us. Nobody in this room is perfect. None of us set ourselves up as the 
poster child for victory over sin. God, forgive me of my sin. Forgive our church for its church sins. Forgive everybody in this room for, for their sins. Forgive my children, my wife. Forgive our community. Forgive our nation. God, sin is just everywhere. Worst of all, it's in us. Pray that you would protect us from it. And forgive us and give us lasting victory. Heads about, eyes are closed. We're going to have a moment of invitation. Did the Lord speak to your heart? Perhaps there's something going on in your life that, that you need to deal with on this list, but maybe there's just, you want to be protected. You want to say, Lord, I'm in a good place right now, but I, I don't want to get down that road. Maybe you just want to say, Lord, seek my heart. I'm trying to do what I know to do, but Lord, search me. Show me my sin so I can do it your way. Maybe there's a sin that needs put off. Maybe there's a sin that needs mortified. Whatever the situation, don't just sit there, but in your heart, your mind, and perhaps with your feet and your knees, take care of it. Do something. If we are casual about sin, we'll become a casualty to sin. God help us all. As the piano plays, the altar's open. Right now, 